Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. My name is Brendan Decora, and each week I'll be hosting different guests, mainly engineers and producers, but also people from across the industry. Enjoy. On this week's show, we have Jeremy Miller. He has credits on Dungeons and Dragons, Rings of Power, World of Mickey, and many more. Enjoy. First and foremost, I want to thank you for being here. Sure. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Sure. We've, we've it's known, my house, so it's <laughs> always <you> easy. <laughs> we've known each other a very long time, so it's mm-hmm. good, to, good to finally get you on the yeah, show. Yeah, it, I was thinking about it last yeah. night. It's, it's been a long time, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, because it was probably, shit, I want to say it was like 15 years, something like that. Uh, I don't want to know the number, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it was it was somewhere close it's, to that. It's been for a while. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, I like to start by going over your backstory. If mm-hmm. you could kind of share sure. how you got started, sure, what led you to engineering, all that um, kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I you know I, I like all of us that are into this. I, you know, I just love music from like mm-hmm. immediately, like before I could talk. I just right. loved music. Yeah. Um, so you know, I would listen to my dad's Pink Floyd records on right. his hi-fi system. Nice. I, he said he said a combination of words that I I still remember to this day. And I was like five. Mm-hmm. We're riding in the car, and um, I'm just gonna move that there. He says, "Do you want to hear a song that sounds like a spaceship?" What? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most amazing thing you could ever right. say to a five-year-old yeah. in the 1980s. So, nice. um, you know, that was Dark Side of the Moon and it like really primed me for this like idea of uh, music being more than just like instruments. Right. Right. Yeah. So I was just like really fascinated by, you know, I was just like obsessively listening to these records all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone our age, I think, um, when we were younger, wanted to play guitar. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, you know, I got a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, like around, you know, right around high school would be when like the alternative explosion happened. Right. You know, yeah. Like Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. And with that came all this music that I had been just a little bit too young and too sheltered to get exposed to. Right. And uh, so, like, for me, it was, like, hearing, like, <laughs> industrial music. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, so I got exposed to that. Uh-huh. And that was, like, the, that, like, um, yeah, it went from everything being, like, rock and roll to, like, suddenly, like, anything was possible. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a tie-in back to the Pink Floyd right, thing right. where it was just, like, there's all this completely different style of sounds that can just be like fashioned into music and sampling which was exactly not really uh you know like outside of hip-hop which was not mainstream at the Mm -hmm. time um sampling was not really like uh liked a lot (laughs) but like especially like a lot of my peers who were into like rock and metal and stuff like that synthesizers were not Mm -hmm. liked uh sequencing was not like (laughs) drum hated drum machines right right um i loved all of it so <laughs> that that's kind of when i started to shift from like wanting to learn how to play guitar to mm-hmm. like actual like production type stuff right nice so 
saved up money from my first job and bought mm-hmm. uh, those two, you know, synthesizer and a sampler for 350 nice. bucks. There you go. You yeah. Know, they were very obsolete already. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, saved up some more and bought, you know, an art SGE multi-effects processor, right. which is real. Like that seems so insane to me that yeah. you could do, you could <laughs> chain all these different effects and it had a right. pitch shifter on it, exactly. you know, <laughs> made really cool. Like it could do awesome feedback loops. With right, it. Right. It's really nice, cool. Nice. Uh, four track, you know, the old task cam mm-hmm. 421. Yeah. And, uh, so, like a cassette recorder. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I have one of those. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're so good. Yeah. I kind of miss it. They sound really cool. Right, like right. The, those amps, <laughs> the preamps in them sound really great when right. you overdrive them. It's like a really like interesting sound. Like nice. everything I did was like that. It was right. just like just running things too hot, distorting yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Vocals through distortion, right. drum machines well, through distor- distortion. On everything. Was your fucking yeah. inspiration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, my dad, um, again, like kind of saw, um, that I was interested in this stuff and he introduced mm-hmm. me to a friend of his that was doing, um, live sound. Okay. So it, Greg Burns was his name. Mm-hmm. So he, um, we started doing these, like my sister was in dance. So we would do these dance recitals every year okay. and we'd rent out this gymnasium at the local college mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd, we'd start for a couple of days ahead of time with, you know, the scissor lifts and like right, hoisting right. up the, you know, subs and the speakers the and rigging, like, that was yeah. where I learned the difference between Jeez. a sub and a full range and all this right, stuff. Right. Uh, we'd set up a front of house tech booth mm-hmm. in the back of the gymnasium. And then at that time, um, CD burners were still very rare and very expensive. Okay. So my job, they would do, they'd do like something like five shows, mm-hmm. and uh, they were sort of different from night to night. And so my job was to operate the tape reel. Okay, <laughs> you know, and some nights you would have to like fast forward through a couple. You know, right. songs and right. like watch the leader tape between the right, right, right. was on a quarter inch tape machine. Right. And then, you know, there'd be a quick changeover between, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shows and stuff. And I have to, like, put a new reel on. And right, there's, like, right. all these people in the bleachers behind me. <laughs> 14-year-old kid, like, right. um, And then later, I, I worked with him again. Uh, it was, like, one of my, it was, like, my second job. I was working for an event production company. And we would, mm-hmm. we would do kind of the same thing up at CityWalk. Where okay. there's a state, they have a permanent stage there now. But right, at the time, right. it was temporary. <clears throat> we'd go up there every week and set up, you know, all the speakers and I would run the lighting rig. <laughs> lighting. <Nice>. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I came to find that I didn't really like live sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, exactly. especially this was in a monitor wedge era. Maybe this is just like the, like level of budget that, you know, right, I was right. running in, but yeah. like there were no, nobody had in ears. Right. Um, so it's a lot of monitor wedges and all, like, I, just, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't like that. And I also, you know, <laughs> you can never really get stuff sounding that great. No. Yeah. Especially then it's right. so different now. I mean, yeah. technology for live That's sound crazy. is so great now. Um, <laughs> but right. yeah, so I wasn't, I w- you're going to be okay there. Yeah. All right. Your kitty is attacking my feet. Uh, yeah. He does that. He likes yeah. feet. Um, okay. Yeah. He's got a foot thing. All good. Ow. Um, <laughs> Ow. <laughs> okay. Oh, there we go. So, um, yeah. So, uh, 
did some more stuff. So Greg Burns really showed me a lot about like, you know, what condenser mics were versus mm -hmm. dynamic mics and some of that like right. really, really basic, you know, what a cardioid pattern is yeah, and all of that stuff. So um, he was also, he was like the front of house guy at the church mm -hmm. and they built a recording booth to okay. record the services. Right, right. And they kind of brought me in and went like, here you go. Right. And uh, I liked that way better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my friend and I would sit there in this little isolated booth, mm -hmm. like during the services and, uh, you know, just total like Beavis and Butthead inside the, uh, right. the booth. Um, but I really enjoyed that better. And so, you know, I was just uh, really, I, w I wanted to focus on recording. Mm -hmm. So it was time to do that. I uh, somehow somebody... Somehow I got it in my head that O'Henry was the place to work. Okay. I don't remember how that was, but just hmm. the, the name O'Henry came up at some point and that stuck in my head that huh. that was a place to go. Yeah. So I was looking for work and I would get that mix magazine that they'd have like the directory right. every year of studios. Yes. And I went down mm -hmm. and like looked at all the places that were close mm -hmm. by uh, in North Hollywood where I was staying mm -hmm. and um, would send resumes out. To like a dozen right. places every did you go to recording school or no no i did this brief period of like an internship with a guy okay. uh, that was really just like helping out a guy in his house right. kind of thing and it okay. was one of those like really classic like exploitative like yeah relationships <laughs> of course of, but of course. you know a lot of like carrot dangling <laughs> that you know yeah. and never eating any carrots yeah. Um, but you got the experience to then that that is an experience of its own right that's also valuable <laughs> you know uh, I, I learned things that I didn't think I was going to learn right um, but you know it, yeah you're right I learned a little bit about working in a DAW and um, mm. so I kept sending resumes out to a Henry I would send them a resume like every mm -hmm. two or three months right it took a while yeah you know it, it, you know they keep saying uh, we don't need anybody Right. Just go keep your resume on file. Yeah. Uh, and I'd send some again later, a couple mm -hmm. months later, and I'd call to confirm you got it because you, yep. you fax a resume over fax in it. those yep. days. Yeah. And um, one day I called and it was, oh, actually, we need somebody now. Can you come tomorrow? Like we just <laughs> lost somebody. Right. Somebody just left. Nice. Cool. So I went and I worked there as a runner mm -hmm. for year and a half or so before mm -hmm. I started assisting. Right. Um, assisted there for a while, they closed. Mm -hmm. And then I was out of the business for maybe three or four years. Oh, wow. It was just okay. like, uh, I didn't think I'd see the inside of a studio again. I was mm -hmm. doing uh, like content development for uh, Yamaha. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. right. So I was doing a lot of like stuff for their... Um, for their home keyboard series and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and I did some for Akai too. I built, I like programmed some right. patterns in one of their drum machines and nice. <laughs> did a lot of that stuff. That was like a really interesting musical education. Nice. Um, so, was out of the business and then Wes called me. Yeah. Because he worked at O'Henry, right? Because he was a runner at O'Henry when right. I was assisting That's and I was right. nice to him. Yeah. So he and called he me. He was working at Glenwood with me. That's right. And they and needed were... me to replace you because you were on a session. That's right. With Lyle Workman. 
With Lyle, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I forgot and how Billy that all Bush. happened. Yeah, that's right. But it was like we needed someone right away. Yeah, and you had like, been on that session for like a week or two. That's and right. And then you needed to do something else. Mm-hmm. So I, that's I where I met off you. Of something that's else. right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I came into that and was you know middle the, of the like, session, middle of the session, <laughs> and I wasn't uh, planning on having someone else you take over. So planning I didn't on having take someone any take over. So you didn't have any notes, and that bit me really bad. But it took like a week to actually hurt because. Like there right. was nothing to do for a week. Right. Everything it was, was totally set up, set up and you yeah. know, like these guys are going in and they would just do the same thing every day. And it was mm-hmm. really great. Uh, and then suddenly one day we needed to set up a microphone for right. a, like a background <laughs> vocalist and Billy had all his like outboard yes. gear, which is already intimidating, right. if, you know, but like, racks I didn't know the studio. Outboard. I didn't yes. have notes. <laughs> never used the patch bay. <laughs> never used the patch bay before. And it took, really long i mean i gave you a rundown i said hey here's where this is plugged in here's that all right have a good time yeah sure yeah. i don't know how i didn't figure <laughs> that was it out the yeah. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no that was i i thought it was over and built well, you know, i didn't Billy, realize you so. hadn't been like you know wes was like oh yeah i worked with him at O'Henry. Mm-hmm. you know yeah i knew O'Henry closed a while before yep. but I didn't realize at the time you hadn't been in the set foot in the studio for years That's at right. that point. That's right. Well, I, mean, like, I don't know how long it was. It might not yeah. have been that long. But okay. um, but still, it had been a while. Yeah. And I well, was like, sort oh, of he's an interesting O'Henry. point he's to bring up is that there was this, peer, <laughs> like, you know, how I thought O'Henry was a place to go. Right. And it really was. Like, yeah. the reputation of that place was Absolutely. huge. And, uh, you know, like Harold Kay, who ran the place, uh, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Learned so much from him. The assistants were all incredible. Um, the sessions that came in were all amazing. Uh, and the, it was just a really, really well-run studio. Right. Um, and just the reputation of that yeah. was so... Uh, it, it just preceded me yes. for a while. No, it, like, Where seriously. it kind of, like, to be completely honest now, was, like, a little bit beyond what where my actual capabilities were. <laughs> right. It right. was sort of like, oh, you were at Henry, you know. And it was like I hadn't <laughs> touched the patch bay in, like, two yeah. and a half years right, or something right. like that. And especially <laughs> didn't know my way around, like, Billy Bush's insane, yeah. you know, racks, racks of, of yeah. uh, you know, Shadow Hills Prees <laughs> and all this stuff. But I remember that was the deal. Like, you came from a Henry. That's right. So, That's right. Like, in my mind, you were, like, w- miles beyond beyond my level of, a, you know, I engineering. <laughs> you know, I, was I, like, totally, oh, I totally wasn't. He's a total expert. Like, yeah, he no, should I, know I, everything. I really cool. All right. <laughs> Which is not to say I didn't know anything. Yeah, um, no, but, for sure. But, you know, I just, sure. um, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, yeah. The O'Henry <laughs> thing really, like, helped me a lot. Yeah. So, um, nice. But I think part of what that was was that there was there's just like a lot of determination to match what you know right. people were expecting of me. Right. And right. so if that meant I had to stay overnight and cut like you know, sit in that control room mm-hmm. for a couple hours and after the session, after out. a fifteen hour day right. yeah. off the clock and figure out how mm-hmm. everything was hooked up. Right, right. Then that's what I had to do. Yeah. And for uh, sure. yeah, I mean that that it really did turn out that Oh, Henry, like having worked there was a really helpful, big deal. Right. Uh, So then you, you actually started at East West before, long before I did. Um, A little before you A little before. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came later. Yeah. And I didn't even know you were working there. That's right. We just saw each other other in the hallway. It's like, what the hell? I was like, oh, oh, (laughs) hey, how's it going? Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I I called Candace because the the Yamaha thing ended Mm -hmm. and, um, 
what I really I knew that she was in need of. <laughs> Young man, Kitty's doing backflips. <laughs> um, what I knew she needed, and I like this is something that I had just heard through the grapevine mm-hmm. was like they had this big room that they could do strings in, mm-hmm. and they needed someone who knew how to do strings and orchestra sessions. The Theo Henry guy. That was a big thing from O. Henry, which, you know, it's like at that time, (laughs) O. Henry was one of the premier, like, uh, independent places. Yeah. It wasn't a stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tadeo was gone and Paramount was no longer there. So, a lot of big big places that have been there. Um, Signet was gone, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, so there was this need for people who could work in like a you know room that handled up to fifty pieces that could do like mm-hmm. the, what we used to call jingle sessions. Right, it's not really a thing so much anymore. Right, but, right. You know, jingle sessions where you'd have like a fifty-piece orchestra come in, and you mm-hmm. know it wasn't on a stage, it wasn't union, or right. at least I wasn't union. Right, um, but had that knowledge of how like everything needed to be set up mm-hmm. and how the session mm-hmm. needed to be run, and so. Right. My first day was a session with Damon. Really? Uh-huh. That uh, was my first day at East West. Really? It was an 80-piece in Studio One That's what East happened. West. That's exactly what happened to me. I was sitting there <laughs> like, just I, like, oh, I, we got to throw him in the fire. I, yeah, that's, I guess, what, that's how that's, Candace works yeah, is like yeah. throw you in the fire. <laughs> and, you know, you got to rise to the occasion. So, that's yeah, awesome. it was an 80-piece orchestra. Right. <laughs> too, a little bit too big for that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it had just booked that afternoon. Right. And, they're, you know, they're coming in. It's, like, I used to have dreams about this exact, you know, anxiety dreams about this exact scenario. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, and I did that, and it worked. Right. And uh, I was there for a long time, and then I went freelance, yeah. nice. um, sticking with the scoring thing. Yeah. So you've mostly been doing scoring. Have you been doing engineering, mixing? Kind of what have you been all focusing of it. on? Yeah. All of it. And you know, right. I, I like all of it. Yeah. Um, I would have thought when I started going into this that I would have been more on the mixing and manipulation side. You know, I, mm-hmm. I liked bleeps and bloops and manipulation right. sounds. And I really would have thought that I'd be just like right. making a lot of like crazy noises. Right. And then it became, uh, it just became about true capture mm-hmm. of all these sources. So not just scoring, but you know, jazz, big band. Uh, folk right. stuff, uh, all kinds of music from around the world. I mean, I've recorded a lot of different right, stuff. Right. Um, t- yeah, I mean, it's everything. Nice. I like editing. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Editing is yeah, fun. Yeah. You know. So a lot of what I talk about on the podcast is kind of how to how to inspire artists in the studio. Right. And as a you know, as someone that works with or- orchestras and right. scoring stuff, like it's a little bit different in that sense because it's very different. It's you know, it's all session players. Yeah. It's almost as if you're working more for the composer yep. than the artist. Yeah. You know, because they, they sort of are the artist in right. that sense. So how do you how do you kind of prepare a session to, you know, make sure the composer is comfortable? And right. also, I mean, it's multi. Sure. Kind of two questions here. But, you know, how does it differ when the composer is actually conducting versus sitting in the room with you? Yeah. And there's a, a conductor out That's there, right. you know. Right. Uh, well, all of that starts beforehand. Right. Well before the session. Mm-hmm. And it's just all in communication and knowing. What, like, most of my clients are seasoned pros. Right. Uh, occasionally not. 
uh, and that can be fun actually. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I did do a, a, you know, a thing for some scoring students recently from USC and right. it's actually kind of fun to sort of like help them along and help them learn, right, how right. To, you know, so that's kind of one of those rare occasions where I do think a lot about comfort of the studio mm-hmm. and how to make mm-hmm. them feel at ease. Right. Um, but mostly it, you know, it's, it's making sure that we're, uh, you know, on the same page about what we need to do, mm-hmm. uh, what the time frame is, mm-hmm. um, what the instrumentation is, of course. Uh, what the layout of the room is going to be like. You know, so, uh, usually we set up things in it with it. There's kind of a template for how you set up an orchestra, right. but occasionally right. it changes. Yeah. And, you know, you, you need to know if something needs to be isolated, mm-hmm. what's being recorded together uh, mm-hmm. simultaneously. Are we striping? Right. Uh, is it? multi-channel is it stereo or you know mm-hmm. do we need to monitor in stereo right, versus right, multi-channel right. as we yeah. record um and i really like how well you mentioned the layout of the room where right. you know when you record orchestras it's one of the few few sessions you go to where you literally set up the room how you want it to be panned yes you know because yeah. of the room mics that's right if you want the bass in the middle, you have to put the players That's right. in the middle of the room That's and right. arrange the chairs. That's you right. Know? It's very interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, How does that work when you're doing surround stuff? Obviously, you're not, you know, it's it's totally different. But what Well, do you... a lot of the surround stuff is ambience. Right, I guess you so. You know, yeah. it's like... Um, we all kind of do it when we first get to play with it is put some yes. funky things like behind you, it doesn't actually like, it doesn't really translate to that right. much of a listening experience right. usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do it, you want it to be something special that really grabs your ear. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's usually just ambient mics right. to get just like super an immersive sort of, yeah. you know, sound of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and when the, when the composer's on the podium conducting, yeah. it's like there has to be, obviously, there has to be a level of trust between you and yeah. them. That's right. Because half the time they don't come in the room to actually listen to the recordings. That's right. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. So we, we ha- yeah, that's that's a thing for people who don't know. Those sessions go mm-hmm. really, really fast. Right. And time is extremely tight. Like yes. it, uh, I get a sheet usually um at the beginning that's got every second of music to be recorded (laughs) marked out right when we would do something like the simpsons Mm -hmm. you know uh a lot of those cues are only like two seconds long you know but it adds so much like like it was such a treat to like watch you get the video and you'd watch a little bit of the show as you're setting up without Mm -hmm. any music and like Mm -hmm. how much of that actually adds to like yeah it it adds to jokes. It adds to sort of, yeah, yeah. Completely adds emotional context right. to what you're seeing on screen. Right. And you might not even you might not catch a joke without the music. The music right. is really like a big part of it in a Absolutely. lot of cases. Yeah. Um, but I guess like yeah, leading to your question, um, yeah. I, I mean that trust mostly gets built right. from working with people repeatedly. And in a lot of those sessions, there's there's usually a really big team. Right. There's an orchestrator. There's you know. A music supervisor, mm-hmm. score readers. There's mm-hmm. there's usually somebody else next to me, right? Who's triple checking, everything. triple checking, and yeah. making you know. It's like somebody's got to kind of know if uh, you know maybe the first violins need to play out a little bit more, right? Or it's you know, I can catch that stuff really well, but sometimes an orchestrator or uh, you know. Uh, a composer might have a better idea of articulation 
Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, I'm just trying to make sure we're getting a clean capture. Right. And, you know, sometimes right. we record stuff down and it sounds great to me. And then mm-hmm. they go, ah, oh, we could do that a little bit better. And you're thinking, that sounded amazing. Right. You know, and then they play it. And then they do it and you go, you know, <laughs> right. What did you, what did you do? That's insane. Like it, it just elevates it so completely. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the trust is really built over a, a period of like working with people repeatedly. Right. Of course. Of course. And being prepared and, and it being clear that you're prepared when they walk in. That's, yes. a, that's a really big thing when right, they walk right. into that room and seeing that you've got things under control and you're comfortable in your environment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it took a while to get there where, yeah. you know, you can be comfortable <laughs> in the control room and the client right. walks in and you like, no, everything's under control. Absolutely. I mean, obviously those sessions are very high pressure sessions you yeah. know like there's a there's, lot of money on the line like every yes. second if something goes down for mm-hmm. just a few seconds people get really really tense yes yes absolutely yeah. well because literally like you know i've been on smaller dates even with like 30 or 40 people and yep. you know that was a problem fortunately it wasn't my fault where yep. you know it was a copyist or something they didn't have the music right. and they had to wait 30 minutes we went yeah. 30 minutes over right. time right and after the session the producer comes in and is like yeah that 30 minutes just cost us 10 grand that's right you know, it's like, right. it's crazy. And, well, and then uh, like related to what we do, right. there's a downward pressure mm-hmm. of that. So right. something can happen that wasn't your fault, right? wasn't your responsibility, completely outside of your purview. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with you whatsoever. Right. But in that, it, now it's really on yes. you to not take even a fraction of a second yes. too long to go into record, exactly. to find the spot that, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of communication. So what on those sessions, there's really a very established hierarchy yeah. of communication, right, um, right. And especially like the most experienced and the best. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really clear, so, so you really know what's going on at all times. Right. You just have to know who to pay attention to, who to mm-hmm. listen to at any given time. It's it's not like a rock band where there's all these right. like egos battling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are sometimes kind sometimes, of under the yeah, surface, yeah. you know, it definitely happens on right. the stages. But um, <laughs> but generally, you know, I know I need to listen to the conductor. The conductor is right. always telling us like what bar we're going to be in, mm-hmm. like you know how many bars free we're mm. you know we're going to be pre-rolling before the and, and it's very easy yeah once you know once you know the, once the, you know the, the how to follow it absolutely it's just yeah. it takes a while to to get to yeah. know that and even like honestly you know if i'm running pro tools or something on a gig like that right. like even just having line of sight and that's yeah right. yeah they you say be able to see the they conductor. say you know okay we're going to start at bar 28 yeah and then just they raise their that's right. their thing, and it's like once that happens, yeah. okay. Yeah, nobody's know, asking if you're ready. They're not. Yeah, yeah. They're, it, it, they're still talking and making noise right. in the crew. Right. It's like whatever. If he you become an extension of the conductor, absolutely. like you, like you're playing to the conductor as exactly. much as the musicians are. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, really, and kind of di- back to that downward pressure of you have to take on responsibility for things, even if they aren't necessarily right. like your fault or your yeah main responsibility exactly it's really just to make sure everything flows and we mm-hmm. get done on time mm-hmm. and have you ever uh made a mistake that taught you a big lesson in the studio once or twice <laughs> once or twice <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean like i mean there's so many yeah of course you know, of course there's so many I, like it's it's hard to think of like a specific one but um In like the more grand scheme of things, I, I would say when things really shifted for me, 
this is maybe a bit more abstract than mm-hmm. your, your question. That's fine. But um, I had to stop thinking so much about my own internal pressure of like, is everything working? Right. Right. And start paying more attention to what everybody else was doing. Yeah. And learning to have a good time and be relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and to enjoy the company, the people I was working with. Right. Uh, right. You know, th- there was a period where I was just like too inward focused. It, it, there was just so much pressure mm-hmm. um, to just make sure nothing broke. Right, right. Um, some of those sessions that we would do, you know, when, when you're not on a stage, you're not on an actual stage, mm-hmm. you're taking on a lot of roles that on a stage would be handled by three or four yes. different people. Yes. You know, so you, ha- you, you know, you were up all night doing a hip hop session. It didn't get out <laughs> till six o'clock in the morning. Right. Now you've got to set up for an orchestra downbeats at 10 people mm-hmm. showing up at nine, yeah. a guy's showing up with a drive at eight 30. <laughs> you've got to prep. You know, yeah. 30 cues, you got to bring all the IO in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I've made mistakes just on the IO stuff a lot. You know, right, it's right. like it's really easy to slip up on that stuff yeah. when you're starting out. Yeah. Um, and then you've made the mistake 30 times because you did all the cues wrong. Yeah. And then you got to go back. It's, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, I know that's not really a direct answer, but, Still, I, you though, know, yeah. it's just like th- there was a big shift for me where I, I, I remember saying to myself, I got to learn to actually like enjoy this. Right. And right. Uh, people are asking me to be in this room. So yeah. they trust me. So mm-hmm. I can trust myself right. with what they've trusted right. me with. So let's relax on that. Obviously, I take the work seriously enough to make mm-hmm. sure things get done. So I, like, I'm not letting go of that right. seriousness. But I need to learn to just like look up from the floor a little bit, pay <laughs> right. attention to what's going on right. around the room yeah. and uh, listen to people and get to know people. You know, mm-hmm. like there were times where I just like, I'd worked with people like 50 times and I didn't know their name because I was just so <laughs> right. stressed out about making yeah. sure that something yeah. didn't break in the middle of a session or well, that there's I was running Pro Tools people fast in the room, but you know. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of people in the room and they're it's talking still, about the yeah. basketball game and you're yeah. sitting there trying to listen to what bar, you know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I guess that's not a direct answer, but no, that, that, that was a that was a big shift. Absolutely for me. No, for sure. definitely, definitely. And when it comes to mixing, how do you? There's always like you know the composer always has a vision for the project yeah. and artists as well. I mean, right. you've obviously done right. records as well. Yeah. How do you kind of ba- uh, balance that between the composer's vision and your own interpretation of the sure. mix? Sure. Uh, interesting question. Well, in a lot of cases, you know, if we're doing a score for a TV show or film, there's mm-hmm. u- there's usually a demo, right? And that demo's right. been approved by yes. directors and you know producers yes. and stuff. So a lot of it, like, we don't want it to sound like the demo. Obviously, it's got to mm-hmm. sound way, way, way better than that. Right. But right. you gotta you gotta start by getting everything there. And that's not mm. necessarily a small task. That can take a yeah. whole day yeah. of just pulling all the, you know, a, a modern score can have pieces coming from all these different places. Right. So right. we might record brass and woodwinds in a room and then get strings from another place and then mm. get a guitar, you know, guitars and banjos and all this stuff from right. a session player who's sending stuff into us. And then mm. bass, this is a show I was doing where we would do a lot of this. Mm. They would take, you know, a day of just 
pulling everything in. Then he, you know, you got to do a lot of editing, even though these are the best players in the world, you right. got to glue it together and you got to glue mm -hmm. it to the common reference of the click. And, right. the, you know, there's pre-recorded, mm -hmm. you know, MIDI material. That's mm -hmm. everything's got, well, they're, they're not playing congeal. in the same room with the same, watching the same conductor. So it's, it's like, so different. Yeah. Even it, little things are swung right. or whatever. That's right. Know? And it's yeah. just a matter of like, it, it's not to fix anything so much as it is to glue it together. Right. Um, and uh, so, you know, you spend a lot of time doing that and just making sure you got something that that matches that. And then from there, you're mm -hmm. making things sound a right. lot bigger, a lot more dramatic. There's a lot of input that comes from composers and composers yes. are really engineering savvy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've mixed stuff for composers where, you know, you get back a note and they just want something down like a half a dB. Right. And I remember the first time getting a note like that yeah. and being like, that's crazy. And then yeah. doing it and be, he was right. Like yeah. that oboe <laughs> just needed to come down half a dB. Yeah. It really just made that much of a difference, but they're right. Like, you know, yeah. some are less, you know, right, particular right. than that, but mm. they have a lot of knowledge about right. and listening to them and listening to what they want to do and not letting your ego get in the way while simultaneously at like, they want you to bring your mm. specialty Yes. So yeah. you still got to do that. You, you yeah. know, you don't want to just like listen to what they say and just mm -hmm. copy the demo. You really want to make something special out of it. Right. And that's what they're I've, asking you to do. I've honestly found it sometimes can be more difficult to work with, you know, artists or composers or whoever that are very experienced. Yeah. You know, right. because then you get a great sounding rough mix. They yep. know exactly what that's they right. want. And it's like, well, how do I even make this better? That's like, right. You know? It can be intimidating sometimes when bit, you get something yeah. before you started mm -hmm. uh, and you hear that reference for the first time and go, right. Oh, this actually already sounds pretty good. But right. then I'll, you, you get in a room with all the yeah. people and you start recording. Yeah, and, of course. Oh, you pull up the mix. We like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. You can definitely, you know, right. make a big difference. But right. Sometimes when it's inexperienced people and the demo sounds like garbage and they know it and they yes. don't want it, right. keep you know stick to the demo. Right. It's like great, I have everything you do sounds a lot better. Exactly, that's right. Exactly, right. so it's much easier. Um, I also want to touch briefly. We spoke about this before we started a little bit, but over the pandemic, yeah, you know everyone was working remotely, including yeah. all of the players. That's right. And you mentioned a few projects where I mean, yes, it's it's one thing to record a band and have each person send in their own tracks. Sure. But when you're doing that with an orchestra, yeah. when you have 30 or 40 people that are all recording at home and sending right. in parts, like, right. I don't even want to know the, the challenging aspects of that. You know? It's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, um, when we started doing in-person sessions again, mm -hmm. uh, it, I mean, where do I begin with that? Like, there's such an emphasis on home recording now, which is great. Like, right. I, I mean, like, I was talking about the music that inspired me. A lot of that stuff was independently produced. Most of it mm -hmm. was independently produced by people who were not musicians. Yeah. Like, yeah. were learning to produce and learning to engineer mm -hmm. on their own and making exactly. these, like, really radical sounding things mm -hmm. by teaching themselves. Um, so, I really love that home recording aspect, but... Um, these musicians were so happy not to be doing like data management <laughs> right. when we came back. Cause yeah. you got these like 60, 70 year old, you know, um, right. brass players mm -hmm. who've never had to record themselves in their home. Right. A lot of them do, yeah. you know, and yeah. many of them are very savvy and you can talk right. to them about microphones mm -hmm. and pro tools and rooms. And you know, they, a lot right. of them know, right. but a lot of them don't. And um, just having to, 
put like the title of the cue name mm-hmm. in every file and what the instrument was yeah. and, and like all of this <laughs> stuff was so much. It's, it's a lot of work for me. Right. It's right. a lot of work for us. Yeah. And we have, you know, like macros and stuff that can do that mm-hmm. to a point. But, you know, when you're, we've been doing it for years. So yes. we have muscle memory. It's very right, fast. Right. You know, when we operate these things, we mm-hmm. work very fast. It's not fast for a lot of these guys. And then, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of work just managing all that stuff coming in from different places, right. uh, different qualities of recording. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of it was fine, but, you know, some people didn't have dedicated space and, mm-hmm. you know, you could kind of hear that. Um, right, right. We often wanted like a close mic and a far mic. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, so you had two different microphones, and that far mic might be in a dining room or something. Yeah, and it yeah, does, you know, exactly. like it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> um, Helicopters flying over. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and then that thing that we were talking about just now of like gluing all the stuff together, right. there's all, suddenly there's a lot more of that. Of course. And, um, you know, how, you know, if you watch a conductor at like the Philharmonic versus mm-hmm. a conductor on one of these sessions, right. it, it seems like a totally different thing. There's no showmanship mm-hmm. with the conductors. Yeah. So for a long time, I didn't really understand exactly what they were doing. Right. But they're so critical mm-hmm. to everybody being on the same page, cutting off the notes at the same time and yeah. like and balancing uh, the mm-hmm. instruments in the room so that what you're getting into the microphones is really a natural balance that right. sounds good, making sure that the trumpets aren't overwhelming mm-hmm. the violins mm-hmm. or, you know, making yeah. sure that the violins don't sound too harsh or are overwhelming the cello or, you right, know, right. the inside notes and all this stuff. And instead you're getting all these things back that are each at different levels. Right. So some stuff's really hot and it's like close to peaking and some mm. stuff is really reasonable and you've, you know, you've right. got to like, you know, move things and it, <laughs> it's just the amount of time right. just so you, you can hear things that, right. you know, then you got to edit <laughs> each single, like almost every single note right. on every single instrument. You know, if I'm Jeez. editing an orchestra that we recorded together, you're doing a lot of Holy things in crap. blocks. Jeez. Right. But you're, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mentioned to you that this was one specific thing that did happen to me where, um, you know, uh, it's written on the score as eighth notes, but it was supposed to be swung. Right. 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 And not everybody caught that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but we have a, we have a deadline, you know, you can't, right. yeah. Still you the know, same deadline. You, can, and you same... hit somebody back, but they they might be on another gig or yeah. something, you know, you can't exactly. just like, Oh, Hey, can you do this again and swing it? Like right. it was sort of like, well, I've got to, I've got to edit that now. Yeah. Uh, if you can, you know, I could thankfully, right. but um, yeah, that <laughs> was a ton, that was just a ton of work. Right. Um, right. With the same strict deadlines and the same, the same, I mean, there was so much more work because, you know, I mean, you also remember adding uh, like Zoom Mm -hmm. to sessions when we started doing (laughs) in-person sessions, but we still had to be masked. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I did a session at Fox and we had like, there's like this person who's like from the Department of Weights and Measurements, you know, measuring out the distance between every player and everyone, you know, these, these people, you know, well, like corporate, like the studio Mm -hmm. set their standards and, you know, this person's there to make, make sure those are all uh, maintained, but, but it's so not musical anymore. It's like all all, each woodwind player has to be eight feet apart and there has to be plastic between each one. And, (laughs) you know, you you set up like a 35 piece and it takes up this entire scoring stage is made for 120 players. It's just, you know, that's crazy. Um, 
but we, you know, we were so happy to be playing back because so much of what we're used to is just being in the room together. And right. that, that's right. so exciting for us. Mm -hmm. is, and, you know, there's a little, we don't get to socialize much, but even these yeah. micro moments yeah, of just, absolutely. you know, meeting, uh, yeah. seeing the same people before the session and, right. hey, how's it going? And, and that's also when I, something I want to tie into is, you know, just the kind like, obviously with orchestral stuff, you're always in the room together. It's always the yeah. group. But when it comes to, you know, bands or artists or people making records, sure. like so many people now do overdubs yeah. and fine tune on the one thing. And there's nothing wrong sure. with that. No, I think it's great. But there's also some magic to be had when you're in a room together with everyone and feeding off each other. It's my and, favorite thing. And it's, it's, it's what... It's what drew me in. It's part of what drew me in mm -hmm. to doing those kinds of sessions was right. that there's really a magic uh, to, um, you know, I'm not a sports guy, <laughs> yeah, uh, but seeing a whole team, yes, operate as almost this like single organism, right, and yeah. everyone kind of knows their place and you know what to do, and also knows when to call out, you know, it, mm. the, some of the magic for me. And a really teachable thing for me and what really excites me is, like we were just talking about, you hear something go down and it sounds really great to you. Mm -hmm. And then somebody goes, ah, I don't know, something, I'm just like not feeling this section here. Mm -hmm. uh, what can we do? And, you know, conductor talks to the trumpet players and then somebody else calls out, well, we can, you know, articulate it this right, way. Right. Uh, and then they just put in just that little tiny bit. And um, mm -hmm. and then it ends up under a wall of dialogue and sound effects. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, that's but the joke. It, but it's, it's so yes. important. It's still so important that we take that level Absolutely. of ownership as yeah. if it's the most important thing at that moment. Right. Right. Um, well, partially because it gets buried by dialogue and sound effects, it's like it has to be the right. best it possibly can be. Because that's right. It's will get lost completely. That's otherwise. totally true. Yeah. That's totally true. Well, <laughs> and also it's just like, we're there because we care about this so much. Of course. And, of course. you know, uh, everything that, every project you do, you want to bring something special to, you mm -hmm. don't want it just, Oh, well, this is just a cartoon. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, I was doing a, like a big part of my work was a cartoon that I was mm -hmm. doing. And, uh, it was a Mickey Mouse cartoon. Nice. I was doing that for a number of years. And, um, you know, that was broadcast in 34 languages in 109 different right. countries. Right. <laughs> and one of the most interesting aspects of it was you could follow the narrative uh, without speaking the language. Like you didn't even right. have to have the dialogue on at right. all. Because the music was to such To understand exactly what the story was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every element of that show, every right. single person was putting in their 100% best. Right. First, you know what we might think of as a yeah. silly cartoon for kids, but well, but it shows, and you know it was the the shows were really well liked right, and right. you know what really well received, and that's another thing that I have never even thought of until this moment is, you know, when movies first started, when moving pictures first started, yeah, there was no dialogue at all. It was only music. It was only music. That's right. So the music told the that's entire right. story. That's right. So it's like that's that's why that's right. Music is such a big part, you know. Yeah. It's like you can tell the entire story with just the music. You really can. So that's yeah. interesting. I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free snare guide. In it, I go over all my techniques, from drum choices, microphone placement, tuning, even mixing techniques. 
check it out now at brandondecora.com slash huge snare. And now back to the show. Um, so what are some um, current or recent projects that you're allowed to talk about if possible? Uh, I mean, you know, it's just, I got a couple of commercials mm-hmm. that I did recently. There's a lot more stuff this year. We, we were talking about the strikes. So ah, there's yes. been a lot less happening this right. year uh, in terms of what I'm used to doing. So there's right. been a lot more filling in. With well, before the strikes, what records were some of those Records, films? you know, I was doing Nick Phoenix's record. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and a lot, a lot of library stuff. Like mm-hmm. a lot of co- composers are just wanting to like kind of do some more library work right, or like toolboxes. Right. You know, sometimes we'll do our custom sample libraries right, just for right. composers. So, nice. uh, you know, I was recently getting to do one, record a whole bunch of very strange, yeah. weird instruments, just, you know, <laughs> just for nice. textures and st- stuff that's not commercially available. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably cool. most of what I can talk about. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, as you know, I like to kind of wrap up each podcast with the same You're done already. Same few questions. Yeah, not quite done. Okay, um, few questions. Uh, the first one is: Who has been your most influential teacher? It, it could like, be a yeah, few. There, there's there's yeah. like a, a lot <laughs> of those. Um, I mentioned Greg Burns. I mean, that was that was really big. Uh, that that was just like learning to do things, simple things like neatly coiling microphones at the base of a stand because we were doing live sound right, right and i brought a lot of that forward to you know the o'henry mm-hmm. uh, sessions and scoring sessions where there were you know we were setting up for an actual show so right. it's showtime at x o'clock right uh that helped a lot when i started setting up for actual sessions was mm-hmm. no it's showtime at 10 o'clock so things right. have to be you know and it, it's got to look neat so when people mm-hmm. walk in they feel like they're not walking into a right, war right. zone <laughs> Um, he was big Dan Wallen. Okay. Uh, when I first started doing more scoring sessions, um, out of a Henry, like he was really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he really liked to talk a lot about what he was like, just the overall idea of just a true capture and what, what was the best way right. to capture stuff. Uh, he had a great phrase, um, intermodulation. Okay. Right. Uh, we often call phasing, which is sort of like right. a, a BS term. It's not really like things, <laughs> things aren't phasing. You know? Right. Right. Uh, but just hearing that term, uh, like, I think that's like the best, most accurate term for it. And mm-hmm. like learning that when you got a room full of microphones up, you've got 40 microphones up yeah. in a room or more. Right. Um, learning how those are interacting with each other right, right. and how to prevent them from interacting with each other in hmm. negative ways. Um, and just overall attitude. Yeah. He was important. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned a lot from working with Bob rock. Bob rock. Did a lot of sessions with him at East West. Uh, just loved his attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I love with, he just loved music. Right. And, you know, I think you've probably experienced working with some of these like successful producers who just working with him. So yeah, yeah, sure. But you work (laughs) with people who are jaded. Yes. Right? Yes. It happens. It's really easy when you do this like mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16, 20 hours a day for years right. on end. Like you get jaded. Yeah. Kind of almost tired of music in general. Right. Um, Bob just had a love for music and he had a love for getting like the right people in the room together mm-hmm. and interacting and, you know, being surprised by what they come up with. Um, right. You know, I, I just sort of really liked working with him a nice. lot. Ed Cherney. Yeah. Um, of course. Greg Townley. 
on the mixing mm-hmm. side. Yeah, really definitely. showed me a lot. It also brought me like kind of crossed over from what seemed like a huge room, East mm-hmm. West Studio One, right, to a scoring stage. Score, That's yes. really a huge room. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, giant, just a yeah. massive, massive room. Um, and then, but you know, uh, beyond those people. Um, I'm trying to learn from everyone that's in the room all the time. Right. So I'm always trying to pay attention to what the composers are saying, what the composers are talking about, mm-hmm. what the orchestrators and the conductors are talking about, what the musicians are talking about. Uh, I love hearing them talk about music. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some music theory background when I tried to learn guitar. Okay. Um, but hearing them get really into those finer details right, makes me appreciate right. music more and, and yes. appreciate the craft that they bring to it so much mm-hmm. more. And I think like knowing about music uh, is such a critical, you know, if you, there's so much more than just the fancy equipment and the monetary value of the right. microphones and, right, right. or how special the microphones are or any of that mm-hmm. stuff is just, it's cliche to talk about, it's brought up all the time, but you know, there's so much that's just in the performance Yes, and the song and the arrangement mm-hmm. that really like is what makes it special, and what we're doing is just trying to capture that in a way that best communicates absolutely the artistic intention. Yeah. So I'm trying to listen to those people all the time because that's how you learn about right. what artistic <laughs> right. intention is. <laughs> exactly, you know, and you know you can think you know a lot, and you'll hear somebody talk about something that's right. like pretty deep, and mm-hmm. um, learn a lot yeah. from that. Definitely, awesome. Um, Next question is, what is your favorite reference track? If you have to go to a new studio, kind of learn the room. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. And I still don't have like a great answer. That's okay. It's like not. Um, <laughs> not everyone does. It's okay. <laughs> excuse me. Well, um, I, yeah, you know, the truth is it's not a big part of what I'm like. I'm working in familiar rooms a lot now. Right. Of course. Right. Like typically I'm working in rooms that I know at this point. So mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a, it's not a frequent part right. of what I need to do. I don't need to go in a room and like right. find the bottom end and stuff. Yes. But, um, excuse me, I do like, to, you know, it, I might put on something like, you know, I might put on like a Nick Cave and a Bad Seeds thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, if it's like, if we're doing like a rock record, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. That's like a capture of people playing in a room and it's kind of wild, but it right, can sound right. really good. Um maybe some Depeche Mode or Massive Attack or something yeah. for like electronic punch or a score, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but oftentimes when I'm putting on, to be honest with you, the f- very first thing I need to hear is like the references for what I'm working on today. Right, um, right. And I guess maybe like kind of leading to what you're asking uh, or why you're asking that question mm-hmm. um, is listening to like the transient response of the speakers in that room. Mm. Uh, the first thing I want to know is, ever, is everything working? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is anything out of phase? Exactly. It's like the very first question. <laughs> are, the like, do these two, are the speakers hooked up backwards? <laughs> like is left and right correct? Yes. Uh, if I put things on these two channels, do they come up equal? Right. Uh, but then, you know, there, it, you know, if it is a new room, I do want to kind of listen to, you know, where the sweet spot is, where mm-hmm. I'm out of the sweet spot. I'm out yeah. of the sweet spot a lot right. <laughs> when I'm working because yeah, yeah. I'm on a big console or in a mm-hmm. big control room and there's a lot, of, you know, the yeah, pre's yeah. might be way over here. I got to yeah. change things over here. Exactly. Sometimes the credenza is way over there and I got to adjust a compressor and I'm right. like, 
way far away from the speakers, you know, exactly. it's like not, right. not ideal. How do you adjust um, that when you're, but you, you, you like, I want to know how punchy the speakers are. I mm-hmm. want to know like what kind of like the frequency response of the speakers yeah. is. And I w- kind of want to know if there's like dead spots, you know, if I, if I put on something with some bottom end, like a massive mm-hmm. attack or, uh, you know, Nick cave or something like that. I want to hear like, not just something with like 808 bottom end, but right. something with a moving baseline. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you can kind of hear as they're dead notes, Yeah, you know, kind of walk around the room and feel if there's spots where like it comes out more than others. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, sometimes like the sweet spot of the console is sl- slipping back from the console mm-hmm. a little bit. You kind of want to yeah. know that. But yeah. all of that really, like for me, tends to happen really, really fast. Like right, I don't right. come in and put on uh, right. ACDC and spend yeah. 20 well, minutes listening. Like Obviously, orchestral sessions, you don't have that luxury. Most sure. Of the time, so. I mean, you know, there was a time yeah. where like when I started assisting, people were still mixing on consoles. Yes. So it was really common for somebody to come in and put on some references right. and figure out the room and figure out the speakers mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of. But that's. Yeah. not really part of the workflow right, right, anymore. Right. Um, That's so, true. I, well, now you've made it clear. I need to change my questions at the end. No, it's a, it's a <laughs> great <laughs> question. It really is a great question. Uh, you know, but um, it's true though. It's not really like I've had more people answer and be like, yeah, I don't do that. You know, like it was such a common thing when I started out, like, the, yeah, it, like I have to say absolutely. things were so different when I started out, when I started out, um, when I first got that runner job, Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only a few weeks after that Quantigy shut down and stopped making tape oh, for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. And there was still a lot of like unsettled question as to whether like right. people were going to record in Pro Tools. A lot of people wanted right, it right. to be Logic or Radar. Or yeah, the radar, radar system, yes. You know, yeah, yeah. I um, there were a lot of people that wanted yeah. to use Radar because they right. felt it sounded better and you know, more like tape. More and, like tape. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of a confusing time. So yeah, yeah things have changed yeah, yeah. a lot definitely, since then. Definitely. Uh, last question. Yeah. What would be one tidbit for an upcoming engineer? Uh, is this for? Let's say for someone that wants to get into scoring. In particular. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I was going to ask if it's for people who want to be engineers, like professionally, or if it's people who just want to learn how to record. In general, no, like someone, that wants, music, someone yeah. who wants to be an engineer for film um, scoring. Oh, that kind for of stuff, film yeah. and scoring. Well, uh, you know, what you can't avoid if you're going to like specifically with mm-hmm. scoring, you've, you're going to have to work under somebody. Right. Because, you, you know, you, you're just going to have to you, you got to find someone. You call it a mentor, but, it, you know, sometimes you don't get the luxury of an actual mentorship right. relationship. Right. And it's just a matter of being like, you got to be useful. Yeah. You know, you really got to be useful and um, open. Um, yeah. God, you know, making it specific, it's almost harder for me to answer that yeah. question. Uh, but <laughs> well, maybe not like, specific then. Yeah. yeah well, easier, I, yeah. I, you know, I think what's so critical is just being like open minded mm. and keeping your eyes and ears open and being useful and um there's a sort of like uh there's a sort of character trait that's like built into engineering culture <laughs> which is just sort of like surly know-it-all like thing <laughs> you know and it sucks it does like suck. It, yes. like we're sort of like we've started to move away from that a little right. bit you'll see a lot on the forums and stuff yes. though like and yes. it, it, whatever but you know it's not to get into that but 
um, I just think having a more open attitude towards everything, mm-hmm. you can learn a lot more. Like I was saying, I, I did not expect to be moving into like the scoring side right. of things or capturing things really right. clean, right. Uh, getting asked to record symbolisms and you know mm-hmm. things like that, and trying to get like the, yeah. the cleanest capture. I thought that I would be you know turning knobs and distorting stuff all the time and it's really mm-hmm. like a lot more about good mic technique for me now yeah. and rooms and stuff and right. a lot of people together in a room which i never expected right. but that happened because i was open right uh, i mean it also happened because somebody needed me to do it yeah <laughs> but, but still, you know you, yeah. you, you got to be useful to people like it's really easy when you're starting out you just want so badly to be like at the end game already yes you know yes. but it, it doesn't it's just life. It's not. Right. It's not this business. It's just life. Right, you know, right. you got to go through a period of like kind of figuring out how to get to that end game, and your end game might change. So mm-hmm. I think you know, an openness. Le- learn a lot about music. Right. For sure. You know, awesome. Know as much about music as you can, because yeah. you know, like so much of what we do, there's a lot of technical aspect, but you know, you have to serve the music all the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it it. it We've all heard records that don't really sound that great, but are just amazing. Yes. You know? Yes. And if you just, like, learn to lean in with what you've got and right. uh, serve the song and, you know, the artist as best you can. Absolutely. And I think the way to get there is to kind of... F- the way I got there was to be an observer. Right. And to, to be an observer, I had to be useful and do things that were outside of my right. end game for a while. Right. Nice. Sweet, man. Well, thank you. thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Make sure to subscribe for all the updates and I'll see you next week.